Welcome to The Founder's Mind, a podcast powered by the Kadar Group. This is your host, Adam Mutchler. This season is sponsored by Upside Business Travel. While they are a free travel management tool for scaling companies, they are also focusing their efforts on educating and providing resources to businesses, founders, and travelers through this global pandemic. To find out more about Upside Business Travel and their evolving initiatives, go to www.upside.com backslash TFM. And now a bit about our guest and this episode. On this episode, we have Don Dixon, serial entrepreneur, crowdfunding savants, who has made it a habit to manifest businesses into reality. From flat out heels to Popcom, the vending machine platform of the future, Dawn has shown over and over her ability to will ideas into the world. We dive into what's behind her focus and determination, a hint, it has a little bit to do with winning, and why she feels so passionately about the work she does. I learned a lot, and it's my job to learn from founders. Listen through to the end to absorb every ounce of wisdom Dawn imparts on us. Enjoy. Welcome to the Founder's Mind. We have Dawn on the line. Welcome, Dawn. Thanks for having me. Founder's Mind sounds like right up my alley. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited to have you on the show for a bunch of reasons. One, I've been following you on social for a while now, and I actually, after we did a little Twitter exchange, and we'll talk about that. I went on LinkedIn and I was like, oh, we're already connected on LinkedIn. And I sent you a message <laughs> in like January 2019. And we had like a mini conversation over a year and a half ago. And so I just love <laughs> I love the circles and connectivity of the internet. So I'm glad that I'm glad that you're here. Yes, me too. Thanks, Adam. So I want to start where the, our conversation started and we can go from there. But on I have and I have the tweet up in front of me, so the specificity is only because it's it's in front of me. But on August sixth, you tweeted, "Dear journalists, I don't want to talk about how hard it is for Black female founders to raise capital anymore. Stop beating a dead horse. Let's talk about all the success we're experiencing and all of the allies who are helping to change the existing narrative." And I responded, "Not a journalist, but I do have a podcast, The Founder's Mind, and I'd love to talk about all the success you've had." It'd be awesome. It's been awesome watching from the sidelines through social media. And now we're here. Yep, now we're here. The power of Twitter. I tell people Twitter and LinkedIn are critical business tools for networking. They're huge. I mean, they 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 remove all barriers potentially. It does. At least people see it. And they could ignore you, which I don't ignore people, but they could ignore you, but they do see it. <laughs> so they see it. Get on people's radar. I think it's about getting on people's radar, and and I'm sure you've done this, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that uh, on the on this episode. But the where I've had a lot of success is be specific and show that you're reading yeah. what people are saying and respond with something that is relevant, which, which is what yeah. I attempt to do, and it, it seems to have worked. Um, yeah. I would love to talk about what we set out here, which is all the success you're having. I mean. If you if you Google your name or if you follow you on social, you'll know that you you do not one, not two, not three, but many things. Uh, you've you've founded businesses. You have raised money in a variety of ways. You're you're kind of kicking ass up and down the street. Oh, thanks. So uh, we'd love to hear, and I know listeners would love to hear a little bit about you. What 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 are you working on these days, or where do you want us to focus our attention, at least in this conversation? You know. 
Um, we can just be general. Um, you know, I don't know what your listeners would like to hear, but you know the most about what would be beneficial to them and what they really get engaged the most. But, um, you know, I currently have a Popcom, which is a software company for automated retail. I have Flat Out Appeals, which are rollable flat. So a consumer product for women that we sell in e-commerce and um, we're selling them in vending machines again after the first attempt that basically failed. Um, I have a restaurant, a vegan restaurant in Columbus with some partners called Lifestyle Cafe. And I'm like a, a consultant and a coach and speaker. So I have like four, kind of four businesses. Um, and then we acquired Wiser. So there's another. It, dur- <laughs> during a global pandemic. So, and that's a, that's a smart a gamified survey company. Yeah, so I was reading about that as well. I think I saw that on Popcom's website. So you have a you have a pro, you have a product, you have a software platform, you have a physical vending machine technology that you've developed. You have a restaurant that you're a partner in and you you you're also it sounds like through the coaching work you're you're speaker, yeah. Yeah, and speaker like you're you're also sharing a lot of the things that you're learning. Yeah, our online course is launching in October for yeah. crowdfunding. So yeah, I saw that crowd coach. Crowd coach, yeah. Exactly, and I like alliteration. So the CCC, uh, actually four C's if you do the slash courses, stood out to me. Yep. Um, wh- where where did the bug come from? Where did the building things, growing businesses? come from? Were you, were you born that way? Is that something your family did? Is that, is this a different direction than people in your family have gone? Yeah, I, I believe I was born this way, just, um, very independent and wanting to be in control of myself. Wasn't really the best at following directions from other people, uh, as a kid or (laughs) even in school and things, but my parents were entrepreneurs. They, they are, they're living and they are entrepreneurs. And my mother, I grew up seeing her have a, a very large in-home daycare mm-hmm. um, where our whole lower level of our house was a daycare. We had about 20 kids in, you know, during the course of the day or the week. And my father had a home remodeling and um, uh, home inspection business. So everything to do with like buying homes, remodeling them, also people who needed to get inspections for um, when you're purchasing a home and need a home inspection. So I always seen my family... And many other people in my family are entrepreneurs, many. Mm-hmm. And I always seen them making money by doing their own businesses. Technology wasn't a thing. So no one in my family was in tech. And my first business in 2001 was in tech. So they didn't really understand it. They understand like service businesses. So everyone's in like a service business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But no one really understood when I said I'm going to start, you know, an online platform for events and entertainment and they did not think it was a real business. They didn't really take the internet seriously in the early 2000s. So I didn't get a lot of overall support in the beginning. My dad was my first investor. He's always been very supportive. Mm -hmm. But of course, if I wouldn't have went to college and graduated and they wouldn't, they they would have never went along with the new thing where people are like, oh yeah, I dropped out of college and started a company. They they would have (laughs) killed me if I dropped out of college. Like that wasn't even a conversation that I could have ever had with them. But once I got my degree, they're like, well, you know, this, if this entrepreneurship thing doesn't work out, at least you have a degree to fall back on. And I for, haven't fell back yet. It's been 20 years. Yeah. No, I mean, it, LinkedIn probably doesn't do you justice, the amount of work that you've done and the amount of things that you've started. But 
I do think that that's a really interesting background in the sense that entrepreneurship is is sort of your blueprint. And that actually resonates with me very strongly because, and I've written a little bit about this, but it's also my blueprint. Everyone in my family has had their own business as well and still, and many of them still do. And there's this element of working for someone else almost seems foreign to me because it's, I didn't grow up with it. I mean, I know about it because of my friends and what you see in the world, but it wasn't, it didn't make sense. Um, so I love that, that this is, this is a natural evolution of what you experienced in your childhood. What? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I like without video or in person, we interrupt each other sometimes, and that's it's a part so of the funny, it's part of the experience. So, were there things? Obviously, you went to school, like you said. Were there things growing up that you saw in entrepreneurship that informed your sort of first one or two ventures or forays into the space, or? Were you just like, I'm starting from scratch? Yeah, I think I was starting from scratch because it was just so different. Mm-hmm. Having a technology company early days, 2001, and figuring out how to monetize digital assets, digital businesses. Like I said, my mom was, you know, keeping kids while their parents were at work. And my dad was fixing and remodeling and inspecting homes. So it, I didn't really know, like, you have a physical thing or like something that you're doing, but... This was in the very beginning of online advertising and email marketing. So I, I, the foundation of I can't make money on my own was there, but everything that I had to do was new. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, what are some of the, what are some of the things that you learned in the, let's say early stages of your entrepreneurial journey that heavily inform where you are today? And I know things are different. I mean, you've been at this, like you said, for 20 years. So it's, you know, day one, day 100, day 10,000 are all different. Yeah. I mean, in the early days, just the really fundamentals of how to set up a business and incorporate the business and what licenses you need and um, how to be a legitimate business person, making sure your financials and how, how do you just operate a business and be, you know, pay taxes and be a legit business? How do you hire people? What, what, what are the laws and I still learn. I mean, this is something that changes and evolves so much as far as the different laws and tax laws and different laws around raising money. But in the beginning, I just figured out how to do it the right way because what I did see um, is many people that I knew, whether it's family members or friends, they do a lot of like side hustles. And when you do a side hustle, you don't really fully, in most cases, incorporate that. And it's not a, maybe even a tax paying entity. It's like, it could be a uh, you know, cash flow business or just something that you do on the side. And, and I knew that I didn't want any of my businesses that what I was working on to be like a hustle and not a legitimate business, but I didn't really know how to, to really set that up. Was there, I think that that's, a, those are such important distinctions. And I think that that's also sort of the, that falls in the bucket for most people. And I don't know if this is for you, of like the not sexy part of entrepreneurship and building businesses, right? Like there's this vibe that being an entrepreneur is this like sexy thing to do and, you know, like you run the world, which you might, but that it's mm-hmm. like, it's like glitz and glamour, especially with social media now. And I know you started your businesses pre the major social platforms, but that's kind of the yeah. story, right? Like raise money, make money, spend money, live the life. But there's a yeah. lot that goes into yeah, a lot of all of those things. 
what um let's talk about some of the sort of the the current ventures and what you've been spending your time with it sounds like for almost a, a half of your entrepreneurial journey flat out yeah. of heels and popcom yeah. those where do they come from for you flat out um i started that business when i was living in miami florida um just coming off like i had a little mini retirement in 2010 where i just like stopped doing consulting and took like a six month like sabbatical and just ran through my savings to figure out what i wanted to do next and i got the idea to create flat out after you know partying on south beach and many big cities when i was in my 20s and early 30s and seeing women walking around barefoot or visibly you know their feet hurt you could tell when a woman's feet hurt they're shifting side to side and so I said it would be cool if there was a product that women could uh, carry in their purse or my idea was to purchase in a vending machine when their feet hurt so they don't have to walk barefoot so they can make it to the car and be comfortable or like when they're at their the table at in, in the nightclub they don't have to be um, sitting down, they can they can stand up and have comfort. And I had a lot of relationships with nightclubs in Miami and Atlanta, where I had previously lived. And I thought it was a great idea to put vending machines with these flats. And that's that's how it started. And I had never um, started an e-commerce or a consumer retail product business. And I was just interested. I, I like a challenge. I like to do something new that I've never done. So I said, well, let me just try a product out. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, maybe people won't like it, but I did a lot of market research and I knew that people really wanted the product. And so that's how I got into the shoe business, kind of fashion, and then the vending business as a distribution channel. And that led to Popcom because as an operator, a person selling a product in a vending machine, I realized that vending machines are just really, really outdated, antiquated, low tech, just basically dumb. And I wanted more software and more technology to sell my product to make it more up to, you know, 21st century standards of shopping. And it didn't exist. And so I started Popcom to solve that problem, which is bringing technology innovation to um, self-service and automated retail. And the businesses overlap, but Flat Out of Hills is still going strong. So I didn't want to stop doing that. And Popcom, I knew it would take some years to build and get to market. And so now Flat Out will be 10 years old in April. And Popcom, I started Popcom in 2012, just the, the, the foundation of working on it. And now it's 2020 and we're just launching this year. So, and that can tell you how long it takes to get things done sometimes. I mean, I think it, it's incredible. One is responding to a need that you have and knowing that others have it. It's not hyper unique, um, which led to the flat out, like you said. But the the vending machine, I think is fascinating. And if... You know, anyone who's listening, don't just listen. Go go to Popcom. It looks like popcom.shop. Yeah. They, I mean, you said 21st century. It looks like the future. It's very cool. Um, and it, it seems like it's going to be quite a different experience than the glass walled, punching the numbers yeah. seven times and it doesn't work and then bang the vending <laughs> machine and it doesn't yeah. work. And, you know, think of the office and the vending machines that are in that show. <laughs> um, it's not that. It's the opposite of that. Um what I think that's a really the fashion part, the shoes, that's a really well-worn industry, no pun intended. Like people understand yeah. fashion and, and there's there's a lot of conversations around that in in business. Can we focus on the vending machine a little bit? Mm-hmm. 
you've look at it's a software, so it's a software, but it's also hard. It's a software. Is, there, is it also hardware? hardware so okay. Yes. So yeah, whichever one you want to talk about, because like the the hardware looks amazing, uh, and I I don't have any introduction to the the software. So I think getting a little bit of a picture behind the you know the seven years or the the five years that it's taken to get something from this idea into it's ready to go. Yeah, you know, that's the hard. antithesis of entrepreneurship. I mean, it's like, it's not an overnight thing. Very hard. Yeah. So what, what, what was, what was the process? I mean, like, did you build a team? Did, were you, did, do you have a group of people, software engineers? Are you a software developer? You know, this took hard, this, there's like product design here. There's a, there's a machine. What went into it for you? everything you said, but just the sequence, you know, first it was just me. It's very difficult to get a team with no money or no product. So you have to kind of figure it out. For me, I had to figure it out and work with contractors to just get my idea developed out of my head onto paper as wireframes, as CAD files, as prototypes, as renderings, like it, anything just to try to bring it to physical form and out of my head and then figure out like, once we have a picture of it, what exactly is it? And what is, how, how does it work? What, what parts are needed? What, what's the bill of materials? What, what's going to make this thing actually work? Um, the software was always the foundation. And the software was developed in order to understand customer behaviors and customer traffic patterns. And to have customer relationship management, which is called a CRM, be able to deliver targeted messages. And that's really to be very similar to what Google Analytics and um, Shopify does for e-commerce. And so the software was the foundation. We said we want to be able to understand conversion rates, count traffic that walks by, understand your customers, male or female, understand, um, you know, be able to send emails to customers after purchase, be able to make product suggestions. How do we do that? The conclusion was we need to use cameras because cameras is the best way to actually count traffic there's, mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. online you do it with ip address there's yeah, no yeah. IP address. so then we said okay how do we do that so all right with install cameras on the on the machines well the current machines that are out on the market they're not conducive for that they don't have touch screens they don't have any type of content screens and they definitely don't have cameras what would it look like to have a machine with cameras and screens on it and so then i started thinking what is the look i'm going for and i I thought to myself, I would like to create the iPhone of vending machines to demonstrate the power of my software. And so that's what I, I did, essentially. It, it has a look of a, it's very sleek. It, I, I said, I know I want two screens and two cameras. It took me two years to get to this design mm -hmm. um, and working with several different people to get to refine this design because the foundation was just two screens, two cameras. You can translate that into many different designs. <laughs> and so it took a while. And then once we had the design down, it was like, okay, what do we need to do engineering-wise to make it dispense products, to multiple kind of products, to make the software communicate with the hardware? So I was just hiring. I was bringing on different people that could advise me while at the same time raising money to bring a proof of concept to market, get a full-blown a full blown prototype and to be able to hire people. Mm -hmm. And I went through Techstars and a few other accelerators, which allowed me to raise money and continue to like work on product market fit, work on proof of concept. And I built team a team twice. The team that I started with, none of them are with me today. Uh, a lot of times in the beginning, 
and I'll speak for myself, but I, I have friends as well. As entrepreneurs, we'll hire who we can afford or mm-hmm. who's available because we don't have the money to attract the, the highest talent all the time or the most qualified people. And so um, not taking anything away from the people that were the first believers in what I was working on, but I just didn't, I just didn't build the right team that was going to get me to where I am today. And I believe the hardest part of this whole journey has been the team building. And then after that, you know, the hardware. Yeah. I think that, the, I mean, like <laughs> you just downloaded so much uh, and we don't even have enough time to get into all of those things. But I, I, I really think that you've raised some incredible observations and highlighted some incredible steps that you've gone through. One of the big things, and maybe I'll talk about the team part because of my background in coaching and the work that I do with my coaching business, the people that you need to go from zero to one are often very different than the people that you need to go from one to a hundred or a thousand. And to your point, no knock on the original team. You know, whether it was financial constraints, resources, whatever, you needed a group of people to move the idea forward. Yeah, but there is a level of yeah, to be, exactly to believe in it, and there's a but there's a level of scale that re- requires a certain level of knowledge or experience or just a different mindset than right. j- just bringing something into the world. So, with Popcom, was the software available? Was it out there? Was it generating revenue, or was it completely intertwined with the hardware that is uh, is now being introduced to the market? So it's completely intertwined with the hardware because at the time there was no hardware to put it in. Got it's it. just like saying, we're Apple. We built iOS. The iOS must have a phone. Yes. <laughs> it, it has to have a device that mm-hmm. can communicate with the software. So we had to build um, some hardware to demonstrate the best use case of our technology. Fast forward now, you know, several years later, there does exist hardware on the market now that has the quali- that has that meets the qualifications and requirements to use our software. So it's camera and a screen. That is a lot more common than it was in 2013. Sure, I mean it's amazing how quickly, I guess, contextually how quickly things can move. It might also feel very slow um, if you're deeply embedded in the uh, in the in the work. What it kind of sounds like flat out to vending machine, to software, to hardware, that you're, that you're kind of weaving your way through problem solving and building things to solve those problems. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? It is. I always say that I consider myself to be a problem solver. Okay. What, um, as, an, as someone who's, who's started multiple businesses and, and done things in a variety of arenas, how would you say that you stay focused on something like Popcom that has taken so long to bring to fruition? Um, I'm very driven like by the end goal. And so that's what helps me stay focused is seeing the big picture, but understanding that a lot of small steps to take to get to the big picture, the big vision. And so um, I also don't, I, I like to prove people wrong. And in the <laughs> beginning, a lot of people just did not, think this was a good idea at all. I mean, I was blatantly told it was not a good idea. It's not a good market. No one's going to invest in it. And that that really, really motivates me because I know that I can do anything. So staying focused has never been a challenge for me. And I have, I do have teams. So I, I certainly am not full-time running five businesses. 
there's there's many people involved in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but flat out, we just hired a new CEO. We're about to make an announcement that we hired a new CEO. But flat out was basically just automated. You know, online, people are shopping, have a fulfillment center, pick and pack, ship out. It's very automated because by the time I started PopCom, flat out was well on its way. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, we have our B2B customer that just make order, take, you know, repeat orders. That's not really hard. But the business wasn't really growing. It was just in the same place because the person that grows it, which is me, is focused on growing something else. And that's why I hired a CEO to take it to the next level. The restaurant, I'm, you know, I'm not a working partner at all. I'm, I'm a partner. I started it, but I don't go in the restaurant and work. So there's a team that keeps that going. Wiser, there's a team that keeps that going. And so really my time is spent, majority of my time is spent on PopCom. And then in the evenings, I'll do my my consulting and my coaching. So it's just a matter of finding the best people. And it took years for me to get to this place. And of course, money is required to be able to delegate effectively, um, have people like really great candidates and highly qualified people on the team that I can just hand everything over to. I, I think that's amazing. And, and one of the things that I am really enjoying about you breaking down all the businesses you're a part of is I often talk about examples like Richard Branson or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos who have many businesses um, or involved in many businesses, but not necessarily operationally in all of them. And I say to myself, I wish that there were other examples or that there were more examples or that it wasn't just this like traditional you know, old or old, getting old white dudes that have done things. And so, Don, I think you're going to be, I think I can just put you right in there. Someone who's growing businesses and finding teams and building teams to really continue to manifest those visions and be, but still be a part of them. You don't see it a lot because we're really highly discouraged from doing that. When I went to go raise money for Popcom, I was asked every single time, you know, we know you have flat out. What percentage of your time are you working on flat out? If we give if we give you money, we want you working on PopCom 100% of the time. And I'm like, you know, that's not realistic. I have a I have a daughter I have to take care of. PopCom is hasn't raised money, doesn't have a product, and doesn't have revenue. How am I going to feed myself yeah. and my child? I have to have multiple streams of income. And I also have researched over the years, my career, I've studied successful entrepreneurs. And the... The, the number is the average millionaire has seven streams of income. So right. why would we be boxed in to only do one thing at a time? It doesn't make sense. Um, you do have to prioritize, of course, and be able to manage your time. But I don't ever believe in putting all your eggs in one basket. And it's something that VC, the VC venture capital structure, they really push founders to not do anything else with the company that they're investing in, which can hurt them if the company fails. They're, 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 out of luck, they have no money, and a lot of times their identity is deeply tied to that that company, and yeah. they go through a serious a bout of depression and just trying to figure out, you know, their identity. And I know several people who are like this. Sure. So you've seen. I mean, you've you have that personal contact, and you have also the your your personal preference of how you want to run your life. And I think what you're talking about brings up a really good point for people that are thinking about raising money. Who you raise money from matters, right? They're, they they become partners. So. You know, some of them are more involved, some of them aren't, but they have expectations. And 
you want people to understand and believe in in the work that you're doing and your approach. You also want people to challenge you, but you need people to be on the same page as you. So you've mentioned raising money several times, and I think it would uh, be a mistake not to talk about crowdfunding and and how you raise money. Have you raised money the traditional route and crowdfunding or just crowdfunding or yes, what's yes, your I've approach? Yes, I've raised money almost every way possible, every way possible but government grants. So um, all of my businesses I raise money for, every single one of them. Um, the restaurant I raise money for, flat out I raise money for, for angel funding. Um Actually, not not the crowd coach. We didn't raise money. For, we didn't need to raise money for that. But the other businesses certainly, uh, Popcom and Flat Out have venture capital investors. Popcom, I raised a million. My first round was a million from venture and accredited angels. I've also raised money from accelerators. I won about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in pitch competitions for Flat Out and uh, Popcom. Just that's my total winnings, which is free money. And then, um, then I raised the 2.2, 2.3 million from crowdfunding. So I've, I, I've also, you know, loans, um, I, I've done uh, peer lending for, I've done, um, uh, PLs like purchase order factoring. I've done like Shopify capital, PayPal capital for Flato. I've done all of the things <laughs> to keep your business, um, keep the businesses capitalized over the years. I mean, like I said, it's, we're in our... T- 10 years is, is, is in April. So to keep a business going that long, you have to definitely be creative. And I heard someone say, take the business five years to die. So based on that, at least four of my five businesses are, you know, over five years old. So <laughs> um, it's, you got to just be creative. And, and, and crowdfunding came into play when I felt that I no longer had any options to raise significant capital because when you think about you only can get so much money from like a a personal loan or a line of credit I needed millions of dollars and um, I had to find another way to get that outside of venture because I wasn't getting the support from venture that I needed because things weren't going as planned and we were over budget our projections weren't right we were burning through cash we needed more money and VC had basically written us off thinking we were going to fail and I was not going to fail, so I had to get creative. So how did, I think that's a great, that's sort of a, just a great inflection point. One, you have a whole industry, or at least everyone that you were in contact with or was able to get in touch with didn't see what you saw. And you didn't fit the model of their investment thesis for whatever reason. And it could have been totally legit for them or just ridiculous. And how did you how did you get on to we can do this through crowdfunding. I mean, the numbers that you've raised are pretty staggering through crowdfunding um, by any yeah. standard. So w- where did that come from? And just manifesting millions of dollars through crowdfunding <clears throat> is, a, is, a, is a huge feat. Yeah. I, I learned about the job Act, which is the law that allows for equity crowdfunding and selling shares in privately held companies. This law was passed 2012. I found out about it in 2015 at a conference. It was still very new. Even though the the law was passed, it wasn't, there was no tools to execute it. You know, it reminds me of like cities where it's like, oh, cannabis is legal, but we don't have dispensaries. (laughs) So it's like, okay, you can't get it. So it was the same thing as crowdfunding. It's like, it's legal, but there's no way to do it. And so I watched the industry. But I also didn't think it was possible for me to do it because it was so new. 
it was not um, something that was encouraged or even understood by VC and it's still not to this day. I'll talk to VCs and they're like, oh, how does crowdfunding, what is this? You know, they just don't get it or don't even support it in any way. Um, but I stayed up on it. And then in 2017, when the ICO, um, initial coin offering, the, 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 the crypto boom happened and all of these companies were raising $20, $50 million in, in ICOs and selling tokens with a white paper, I got really interested in saying, you know what, screw this. I'm going to just go do an ICO. I can do that. And then right when I decided to do the ICO, the SEC, Security Exchange Commission, changed the laws in the United States saying that you cannot do that anymore. There had to be more um, due diligence and more accountability. You can't just go raise money on a white paper and just whatever financials you write down. But what they did do was allow for tokens to be sold under the Jobs Act up to a million seventy a year, still falling under the rules under the Reg CF of the Jobs Act. So that's what I did. <laughs> I just took my idea to do a token sale and did a token sale in the form of crowdfunding, essentially. Wild. It sounds like you have made a habit of highly educating yourself in the area that you want to be involved in and and knowing it almost exhaustively. I mean, I'm learning right now. Uh, <laughs> and, you got to study things. You have to really understand things. Yeah, what would you that's, say? That's critical. Yeah, I mean, it, there's no doubt that that has served you unbelievably well. Where would you... What advice do you give to founders? I have so many questions, which is why I keep on tripping over myself. What, <laughs> what advice do you have for founders... Um, based on the things that you've learned in your journey? I mean, the number one advice I always tell people is um, trust yourself. Uh, trust the process of the journey. You can't compare yourself to anyone else. If you believe deeply in your idea and you know there's a market for it, regardless of what anyone says, keep going. It does not look the way it looks on TV and on Instagram. It, it, it really does take like 10 years to be an overnight success. <laughs> it never goes your way. Your projections are never right. Your timelines are never right. Um, but that's okay because that's really what it's about. You know, it's important to fail forward. And when things don't work out, just like keep going from that point that you landed, even if it's a few steps back. And I always refer to the boomerang theory um, or slingshot theory, rather, where it's like you pull a slingshot back far and then it flies further ahead. And it, that seems like the story of my life because every time I get major setbacks, it's always catapulted to a next level following the major setback. What would you say? I think that that's, I think that's great advice. And I think that just coming right off the last comment, what, what are some major setbacks or what's a major setback that was part of that slingshot? I mean, VC funding to crowdfunding is definitely one of them. Is there another one? Yeah. VC funding to crowdfunding getting my product stolen and, and having to tell Procter & Gamble we couldn't deliver their product they paid for because our manufacturer stole it. But then, you know, the, the major setback to flying forward and finding a manufacturer that sees our vision and partner with us to really allow us to take the hardware off of our plate and be a true software company and do have nothing to do with the hardware. So that's what I always wanted. And it took for me to work with the wrong people and sacrifice, you know, and revenue was delayed two years because of this 
but now we're in a much, much, much better position. At the time when it's happening, it's devastating, of course. But you know, I could have quit then, so, and I just said, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quit." There's definitely like a very strong line of resilience here in these in these big challenges. Was that something that you've worked on? It's just there. I mean, a lot of the challenges that you've described are usually the nail in the coffin. It is. But you've, and you've had I, many of all them. All the time. I've had so many. I just gave you one. <laughs> but I am driven by winning. I pride myself that I've started multiple companies and I've never failed at any of them. They are always, they generate revenue. We do what we say we're going to do. They're still in business. And every business is in a multi-million dollar, billion dollar company. Some are a million dollar company, but they still don't fail because I don't quit. The Mm -hmm. only way to fail is to quit. And so I'm driven by that. I'm like, I'm not about to, I'm not failing. I'm not walking away. And Uh I'm not letting down my investors and people that believe in me. And I want to show, like, I represent underrepresented people. Yes. Not just like black women. Like anybody that you think can't do something, I represent them. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think that that's, that's such a crucial part of successful entrepreneurship is this, the only way to fail is to quit. I love that line. I believe that line. Um, And I think, you know, people can develop a healthier relationship with that mentality, Mm -hmm. you know, around failure. Well, did you stop trying? You know, right? You did okay. Well, then maybe that's the primary cause. The other thing I cannot help but think I was way late to this train, um, but I watched the Last Dance about the Bulls, and oh, that was good. About what? Well, and it I, trust me, listening to you talk, I feel like you would love that drive that that MJ has, where like it's clear in the communication of that documentary. And if you've studied him outside of the documentary, mm-hmm. then you people already know. He does not quit. He does not quit. And he and he does. I mean, he plays he sick. He plays hurt. He he goes super hard. Everybody doesn't like him all the time, but he wins. Yeah. And that's the thing. You can't please everybody all the time. Everybody's not going to like you all the time. They're not going to agree with what you're doing all the time. And the more successful you become, um, it could be, you know, Biggie said it best: more money, more problems. But also just <laughs> success. People could resent that, but you still have to just keep going. And my, my husband calls it the Mamba mentality because he's, yeah. he's a little younger. He's, he's a Kobe, the Kobe era, but it is the Mamba mentality. That's a great way to like summarize that thing that great people have, winners have. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of great tie-ins, and I, I think that's another great example um, with Kobe. And I, I actually have to say when. You know, when he died this year, I felt I, I I was experiencing so much grief about the loss of what he was doing in the world and the impact he was going to have. Because he would he had already shown us that he was he wanted to win bigger off the court after his retirement than he than we even imagined from yeah. his from his basketball years. That was that was that was tough. Especially in tech. Like we he just scratched the surface yeah. of what he was getting ready to do. Yeah. Um but at the same time, it's like we all are here for a mission. That's what I believe. And when when that mission is accomplished, then we go. And we're, it's not up to us to say when. Right. Sometimes your impact is measured. It's a lot more, lot greater 
when you're not here. We see this. People get so much more recognition and respect when they're no longer here. And right. that's just the way that it that it goes sometimes. But your impact is measured by, you know, how that legacy c- continues. No, I think that's that's I think that's really well said. I think that's a good point. And there's there's unlimited examples in society where that's the case. People that we recognize for generations. Um and oftentimes gone too soon. What I think speaking about these these people and other people, who are some entrepreneurs that stand out to you that represent what you're driving for or or what you see in yourself? Definitely, I mean, I, I'm going it way back. Andrew Carnegie is always somebody that inspired me mm-hmm. because of what how he came from nothing and ended up being a great philanthropist mm-hmm. and. Um, all that he did for people. That's like an older person that I, you know, read about and really studied in the modern times. I really respect Angela Benton. You know, I don't mm. even know if she even gets the credit and respect that she deserves as a person who has really made a career of um, helping to bring women and minorities to the forefront and give them access to capital and resources and networking Silicon Valley and beyond. I also just have a ridiculous amount of respect for Jeff Bezos and, and, and <laughs> Tony Shea for the culture that he's created um, for the delivering happiness and the customer service, which is something that I definitely live by. But then just Jeff Bezos, he's, he's built an, an empire. Like we can, it's never going anywhere. That's why they're trying so hard to say, is it a monopoly? But it's just, I think it's phenomenal how he was been able to focus so strong on saying, we're going to just be the best bookseller while at the same time in the back of his head, knowing from a long time, from the very beginning, even when it was just books, he knew he was building something much, much greater. But look at the time that it took and yeah. the patience that that it takes. And so I, I definitely refer to them. Um, Reginald Lewis, I, I refer to him. You know, there's there's a lot. Like, I study entrepreneurs all the time. It Mary sounds like Kay. it. Like, I just look at how people have been able to create and, and disrupt industries completely change the way we do things. No, I think that, I think those are incredible examples. And one of the things that I love about asking that question is, you know, sometimes you, you hear the same names and sometimes you hear new names uh, and definitely some new names with Reginald Lewis, even a quick Google search, uh, you know, opens up my perspective and and what I, what I know. And I see that he was born in Baltimore, which is, I'm from Maryland. So I love that too. <laughs> Um, But I think this idea of being a student of entrepreneurs and being a student of other founders and and, and business builders um, across across generations and across eras. I mean, I think that there's a there's an element of being studious of of what it takes. You know, I'll, I'll go back to the last dance. When people ask themselves, why not me? Look at someone like Michael Jordan and say, are you doing what he's doing? You know, or right. like famously, the story that came out of Beyonce's, uh, I think it was her Coachella performance that she then sold to Netflix and it did this whole thing. Like months and months and months and months of preparation and practice for an eight, like, you know, a, what was it, a 30-minute concert or something? Like mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't 30 minutes practice for 30 minutes of performance. No. It's <laughs> you know, months. exponentially more. It's months. Yeah. It takes a lot. And that's what people need to understand. And you also cannot ever compare yourself to someone else's journey. Everyone's journey is very unique. And, and I'll still, I speak for myself. I'll, I'll watch people that started before, uh, started after me. They'll have faster success financially or 
um, I'll apply for something and I won't get picked, but someone else will get picked. And I never feel like, oh, that should have been me. It's like, you know what? I'm happy for them. My time is my time. My journey is my journey. This wasn't meant for me. What's meant for me is for me. And I always am genuinely happy for others. And then I'm like, I, I can't wait till I'm where they are. But I'm happy for them that somebody's there because it lets me know it's possible to get there. I'm going to leave it there. I think that's awesome. And it's it's a sh- that's a shared vision, by the way. I, I say the exact same thing in my coaching business. People have started after me and have achieved more success. And some of those people have also quit after that or have fallen from that success. You know, I think that long game mentality is huge and you're showing it with your businesses. Is, so you're living it. But I, I really love what you just laid out there. And so let's leave it there and say, thank you for being on the show, Don. And thank you for taking some time and sharing your insights and perspective with, with the listeners. Adam, you have asked me some awesome questions. I love when I'm like, I get to chat about things that are like not the everyday <laughs> conversation. So I appreciate your thoughtfulness. Awesome. And one last thing for people that are listening, what's a good place for them to follow along in your work or where do you want to direct people? Yeah, just check me out on Twitter. I'm very active. The Dawn Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N, LinkedIn, Dawn Dixon. And um, if you're interested in learning more about my business and possibly investing when another round opens, check out popcom.shop to learn more about Popcom and Wiser. And there's a link for you to sign up to be notified when we raise more money. Awesome, Don. Thank you so much for your time and for your for your thoughts. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Founder's Mind. Check back regularly for new episodes. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love your support. Sign up to be a funder of The Founder's Mind. To support the show, you can go to the show notes or head to thefoundersmind.com and click on the funder link to make sure you don't miss any awesome wisdom from guests and stay up to date on the most recent episodes of the show. Be sure to visit thefoundersmind.com. You can also follow along on social at thefoundersmind. Last but not least, a thank you to Roy Matz for the music on this show and his dope editing skills that make The Founder's Mind possible. Until next time, take care. In the world, going through all of this insanity and try to bring new ideas, make them a reality. Illuminate in the thoughts, make it a priority to implement what you learn, what you get is what you be. In a world full of noise, hard to find that clarity to try to lead subtly, never full of vanity and try to change something small or try to change humanity. Power forward through the dark, founder's mind is what you see. Mind is what you see.